This morning, we are going to look at the triumphal entry. We're entering into Holy Week, and uh, Holy Week starts on this Palm Sunday, and then we have several other uh, things that happen throughout the week. We're hoping here at the church to celebrate together on Thursday night, as Pastor Stephen mentioned, with the Monday Thursday service that we'll have here at the church. We hope that you can come. We, we actually hope that the snow is, is uh, off the roads, the parking lot is clear, that we're able to come on Thursday night and to share in that. Your whole family is invited. We, we orchestrate this, this particular event so that your whole family can be a part of it. And so I hope that you can come back and join us on Thursday night at 7 o'clock here for a Monday, Thursday service. There's also on, on Friday, Good Friday, there's a community Good Friday service uh, that I'll be sharing at in Aberdeen. And so if you wanted to come to that, that's at noon on Friday at, uh, at First Assembly of God in Aberdeen. And uh, several community pastors will be sharing there. Uh, and then we'll have our Easter Sunday service next Sunday. And I hope that you can come and join us again for that. We're taking a break from our Letters of Paul just for these two weeks to look at, at these Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday themes. Today we're going to be looking at the king that the people longed for, that we longed for, uh, that we find in Matthew chapter 21. And next week then we'll look at the death and resurrection of Jesus and the Messiah that was provided for us. But today we start here in Matthew chapter 21, looking at this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem a week before his resurrection. There's lots of, lots of different thoughts and themes I think that we have with the triumphal entry, the idea of the triumphal entry and, and what it means. And there's, there's one, maybe this is just me, but there's one uh, thought, one theme that I think we often hear or we often feel is that Jesus on this day is, is reluctantly entering into the city. And his, his disciples, his followers place him on this donkey and they parade him into Jerusalem against his better judgment, against his wishes, kind of. And he uh, goes along with the flow he rides the donkey, he hears the cheers of the crowd and thinks that they are, are unnecessary and unwanted. But he knows what's to come and so Jesus knows that the arrest and the crucifixion and even, even the resurrection are yet to come and so he goes along for the ride and goes along with the crowd just to get it over with. That Jesus, in his humility, doesn't want all of this pomp and circumstance. I think that's one of the ideas that we get oftentimes. That, that people, the crowd, had begun to see the greatness of Jesus. They had begun to see and know the things that Jesus was, was doing, the miracles that he was doing, the, 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 the teachings that he was giving. They're, they're celebrating those miracles and those teachings. They're rejoicing in them. But... These people are so fickle. They, they cheer him on Sunday and they cry for his crucifixion on Friday. And so the theme of the triumphal entry gets mixed in all of those thoughts. And what I want to do today, what I've been doing this week, is looking here 
In Matthew chapter 1, this same triumphal entry is listed in the other Gospels as well. But here in Matthew chapter 1, I want us to look at it just for a little bit because the, this passage in Matthew, what Matthew is telling us, I think, is a little different story than that. That Jesus, Jesus isn't reluctant in his entry into Jerusalem, but instead he knows it's going to happen and in fact prepares for it and even sets it up. Jesus doesn't, doesn't try to shush their cheers and their praises because he knows, in fact, he even declares himself his kingship over lots and lots of ways and in lots and lots of places. And so I want to look here at Matthew chapter 21 and just look at what does Jesus set up? How does he prepare the people for his his ultimate crucifixion and resurrection. In Matthew chapter 21, it's page 826 in your pew Bible this morning, beginning in verse one. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he shall send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went, and they did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I just want to look at this passage just for a little bit. And I want us to see several ways that I think Jesus is declaring his kingship. Oftentimes we, we again, we, we look at this idea of the triumphal entry and we think that, that people are, are, are foisting this kingship on him. That they're, they're calling him something that he didn't, in fact, want to be called and I don't think that's true at all. I think in this passage here in Matthew chapter 21, we see several ways that Jesus himself is proclaiming that he is in fact king. And one of the first ways I think we see that is that Jesus shows here at the beginning of this passage that he is a sovereign and divine king. That Jesus is a sovereign and divine king. There is no other place in the Gospels as we look at the story of Jesus. There is no other place except here that Jesus tries to arrange some kind of transportation other than his two feet. Everywhere else in the New Testament, Jesus walks. Jesus walks everywhere. There are some places he appears, I suppose, but Jesus never lines up some kind of other mode of transportation. This is the only place that we see it in the whole New Testament, right here. Jesus 
never had a need for a donkey. He never had a need for a colt anywhere else, but here he does. And in fact, as he has need of them, he orchestrates and plans the exact right kind of transportation for him. He doesn't send his disciples off to say, go and find something for me to ride and bring it back here so that I can ride in to Jerusalem. Jesus has a perfect orchestrated plan. Some would say, and I think they could be right, some commentators would say that Jesus previously must have arranged this. He had already talked to the owner. He knew that the owner was going to have this donkey and the donkey colt side by side in the town just ahead. And so he had previously set it up. He'd previously arranged it. He sent his disciples knowing that it would be there because he had already made those arrangements. That maybe is true. Other commentators, though, say that this is a sign of Jesus' omniscience, that he knew exactly what was up on the road ahead without ever seeing it, without ever arranging it. He knew that it was there, and he sent his disciples to go and to get it. I don't think it makes any difference. Whether it was divinely ordained or previously arranged, either way, Jesus was very intentional in telling his disciples what he wanted and what he needed and how they could accomplish it for him. He's sovereign in the way that he rules and the way that he orchestrates and the way that he moves things together so that exactly what he wants to be accomplished is accomplished. But he's not just sovereign in the way that he, that he does this, but he's also divine. He tells, he tells the disciples, when you go, and you go to get this donkey, and you go to get this colt, and someone says something to you, what should they reply? The Lord needs them. The Lord needs them. Again, this could have a couple of different ideas, a couple of different thoughts. One of them could be that Jesus is telling them, when you... When you come against these men and they say, what are, you, what are you doing trying to take this colt and donkey? You say, you say the Lord, the, the word is, is for God, that the Lord God needs them, that, that God is in need of this as, as part of what he is trying to accomplish. Or some other commentators say that Jesus is actually telling them, say the Lord, meaning himself, that I am God, I am the Lord. Tell them that I, the Lord, needs them. Jesus, Jesus here is not shying away from his divinity. It may be open for interpretation. We may not totally understand exactly how Jesus meant it, but I don't think that Jesus was shying away from the fact that he was showing them these animals were, in, were going to be used for a divine Purpose. These animals, the usage of these animals had a divine purpose. Jesus makes it clear. These are going to be used by God. Whether he meant the God who orchestrates and arranges it or the God who sits on them, he said these are going to be used by God. Jesus is a sovereign and divine king. He arranges this colt and donkey he intentionally chooses these animals, Matthew tells us, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. 
This prophet that's quoted here in in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, is actually comes from the prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, Jesus intentionally chooses the donkey and the colt so that he might fulfill this prophecy that came 500 years before this day. Jesus knew it. The Jewish people knew it. The people of Israel knew it. The ones that were proclaiming Hosanna that day knew it. They knew the prophecy. They knew the Old Testament. They knew. And Jesus intentionally chose this. This is the prophecy. It's on the screen there in Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. In Zechariah chapter 9, the prophet says, this is how he will come. And so Jesus shows he's not only sovereign and divine, but Jesus here in Matthew chapter 21 shows he's also the prophesied king, the one who was to come. He shows, he shows by his choice of this donkey that he is exactly, exactly who the Old Testament declared that he would be. He also He also shows that he's, this passage in Matthew 21 also shows us that Jesus is, in fact, the Savior King. As the people begin to cheer, as as he rides on the donkey and people take off their cloaks and lay them down and and they lay the palm branches, they cut the branches off the palm trees and lay them in the road, they also begin to cheer, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And never once, never once do we hear Jesus saying, shh, don't say those things. Shh, never once. Jesus doesn't shush the crowd. This cry, Hosanna, we see it one time in the Old Testament, in Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, Psalmist writes, save us, Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This cry, Hosanna, from the Old Testament, actually the, the word in, is, is, is Greek here that there, that's written in the New Testament is the same word, as what would have been in Hebrew. They would have changed the way that it was written and pronounced, but it's the same word. Hosanna, save us. It's a request, but it's also a declaration. Hosanna, Hosanna, the original word would have meant um, a cry for help, a, a, a request for help. One commentator says it would be like if you had jumped off the high dive, didn't think you could make it to the edge of the swimming pool, and you cried out for the lifeguard and said, Hosanna, come save me. I'm going to drown out here. But Hosanna also, Hosanna also becomes not just a request for help, but a statement 
of help. Hosanna also becomes salvation is here. It would be as if you jumped off the high dive and landed in the water and didn't think you would make it to the side and so you shouted, Hosanna, come and save me. And then as the lifeguard arrives and grabs you and puts his arm around you and lifts you out of the water, you would shout, Hosanna, rescue has come, I'm saved. Both of those, both of those ideas are exactly true. And so as these people shout, Hosanna to the son of David, they're shouting, save us. And they're shouting, we are saved. Rescue us and we are rescued. Help us and our help is here. Jesus hears those and he doesn't shush them because he knows, in fact, He is worthy of those declarations. That praise is for him. That he is there to save them. And their Savior has come. But it's even in these cries that we begin to see that there's a bit of a difference. That there's a difference in what the crowd is crying for and what Jesus is actually declaring what Jesus is actually pointing to. Hosanna to the son of David, commentators tell me, would have been seen as a national cry. Hosanna, save us, son of David, would have, would have meant the people of Israel. And as they cry out that day, they're saying, rescue us, rescue the people of Israel, rescue our tribe, rescue our people, rescue our family. It would have been a national cry. They weren't crying out for rescue of all people. They weren't crying out for rescue from their sin. They were crying out for rescue from those that had authority and dominion over them. It would have been a national cry. It would have been similar to us crying out, God bless America, or God save the king. The crowd is celebrating their arrival of a national rescuer, not knowing that he was riding into town to in fact be their sinless savior. Jesus hears these cries, but he has already begun to point not to the mission that they're crying out for, not for the mission that they're calling for, but instead he's begun to point to his alternative mission. Jesus shows that he's a peaceful king. And he shows it in the selection of his ride into town I already told you that he was intentional about what he chose, the donkey and the donkey colt to come into town. Arriving rulers, conquerors, they didn't ride into town on donkey colts. Celebrated rulers don't ride into town on a donkey. They ride into town on a stallion. Conquering rulers are not, they they are surrounded, they are surrounded by all kinds of their staff, 
all of these people who are there to care for them, they're surrounded. They're surrounded by those that, that help them, that those that adore them. They're surrounded. They, they enter into a city. They enter into a city with a trumpet call, an announcement that they have come. They ride in victorious after battle. That's really what the Jewish people, the Hosanna to the son of David criers, were hoping for. That Jesus was coming in, riding in on this donkey to overthrow the rule of the Romans, to bring them back to the people that they once were. And Jesus is intentional in his choice of transportation that day to show he is not the conquering king riding into Jerusalem, but instead is a peaceful king. He intentionally chose and arranged for a broken donkey, an unbroken donkey colt, surrounded, surrounded by lowly Galileans as he walked into the city, as he rode into the city, as they walked into the city to show a sign of peace. He comes not as a conquering hero, but he comes as a peaceful king. And not just a peaceful king for the Israelites, but he was a global king. He comes as a global king, not a national ruler. If you go back to Zechariah chapter 9, and the people would have known this quote, we only get the first verse, chapter 9, verse 9, here in Matthew chapter 21, but the continuation of Zechariah chapter 9, I think it's on the screen as well, and verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, is he humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. We've heard that. It goes on to say, though, that I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, I'm not here just for my family. I am not here just for the Israelites. I am not here as a national king. I am here for the world. I bring peace to the nations. My rule shall be from sea to sea and to all the ends of the earth. I come for all who will believe. He's a king who comes in peace. He's a king who comes for the whole world. And I think Jesus also is saying here in Matthew chapter one on this triumphal entry day, that he's coming, he's entering into the city that day. But we know he's also a king that is going to come again, another coming king. He does not arrive that day as the coming king, but we know that there is a day still yet to come where he is coming. And in fact, I think The point that Jesus might be making here, the picture that he wants us to see here is the vast difference between the way he enters into the city surrounded by 
Galileans declaring his praise on a donkey cult rather than the way that most conquering rulers would have entered. This peaceful global king arrives in this humble way because one day he won't. Revelation chapter 19, this will be on the screen for you as well. Revelation chapter 19 tells us how one day this king, Jesus, is going to return. The writer of Revelation says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one that was sitting on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with it to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury with the, of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus knows on this day that he enters in on this donkey colt that he's coming back on another day, not on a colt, but on a white horse. He will come back in that victorious, conquering way. He will slay his foes with the sword of his tongue. He will hold the rod of iron. And he will establish, he will establish his forever eternal reign in that moment. But on this day, but on this day he comes in peace for all people for all who will believe. And he gives opportunity that we still have today, opportunities for his messengers to run ahead of him, an opportunity for his messengers to go and declare that there is amnesty before this new king, that there is forgiveness for sins, that there is a hope for all eternity. That for those who look to the Son and confess that he is the Lord, for those that pledge allegiance to the King of Kings, there is safety, there is rescue, and there is redemption. Jesus comes in peace on this day, in this humble way, on the colt of a donkey, because one day he won't. And until then, until he arrives that day on the white horse. We have opportunity to proclaim over and over, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We can have hope in this peaceful king. He's yet to come in might. He's yet to come in power. And until then, we have opportunity to declare the hope we have in him. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This morning we get to celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus.
We'll do that this morning here in communion. We celebrate open communion here at Richland, and we want you to be a part of it. The worship team is going to come and lead us. The elders are going to come and direct us this morning. You have an invitation in your bulletin. It's also on the screen. We invite you today to read that invitation. If you can live under that invitation, we want you to celebrate in communion with us. We want you to rejoice in the hope that we have in this peaceful, global king. We'll ask each of you to come. The elders will release you from your pews. We'll have you walk by. If you are unable, though, to walk by or don't want to walk by, we understand that. If you'd like someone to serve you, just wave the elder down and make those arrangements with that elder. The worship team is going to lead us. I hope that you will pray your heart. The elders will come and lead us this morning. our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this prayer Drink and re- 
Since the blood that was shed for our sins, take and drink and rejoice. Let me invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. The benediction comes also from Revelation this morning, another passage. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.